Two men went up to the temple to pray. It's as if we can already sense where Jesus is going. In these two figures, we learn that there are essentially two trajectories or or postures we can have before God. A posture of self-justification or a posture of self-emptying. I can either stake my claim to goodness based on what I've done, or I can ask for mercy because of what I've done. And to the extent that we are capable of confessing our sins and asking for God's mercy, therein lies the road to redemption, to being justified in God's eyes. Sometimes I wonder if the primary reason we should be coming to church every week is simply so that we can collectively offer confession and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because if you think about it, where else in the world are we able to turn to unburden ourselves of our sins? On the contrary, we're constantly pressed to amplify all our accomplishments and to stake everything on them. Because if you can't articulate your extensive list of extracurricular activities and community service hours, then how else are you going to justify yourself to the college admissions officer? And if you can't boast about graduating with honors and your various internships and other professional experiences, then how else are you going to get the top job so that you can wiggle your way into the top tier of the meritocracy? The implied religion of our culture is that all who exalt themselves will be exalted. But true religion teaches us that only those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I know it's probably unwise to downplay your accomplishments on college applications and in job interviews, and I'm not saying that you should. What I am saying is that the liturgies we perform in our everyday lives will have an effect on our spiritual lives. In other words, if in my daily life I'm constantly engaged in practices that puff myself up and train myself to regard others with contempt, and I wonder how it's going to be for me when I show up to Mass on Sunday morning. I suspect I'll be bringing those habits with me to church The liturgies we perform in the world will most certainly have an effect on the liturgy we perform in church. And as if that weren't unsettling enough, consider the Pharisee. So there's a literary device. It's called dramatic irony, which is when the reader knows more about what's happening with characters in a story than the characters themselves. So the the classic case for this is going to be the play Oedipus the King, right? Where the audience knows far more about Oedipus and what's going to happen to him than he does. This device can generate just a serious level of suspense. If only Oedipus knew what we know, then maybe he could avoid his fate. But bringing it back to the Pharisee, I wonder if dramatic irony 
is at play here as well. We know that the Pharisee trusts in himself and regards others with contempt and seeks to justify himself based on his supposed merit. But consider the possibility that the Pharisee himself does not know this. From his perspective, he thinks he's doing just fine. But in reality, he's blind to his need to confess his sin, as if he's been building a house of cards all his life, and he can't even see it. It's not exactly a comforting thought that we too might really think of ourselves as pious, God-fearing people, all the while regarding our neighbor with contempt and building a case to justify ourselves based on our merits. I don't particularly enjoy that thought. We must remember that the gospel of Jesus is merciful, but at the same time, it's razor sharp. It has no time for fuzzy platitudes like be your best self and follow your heart and such. There is no sphere of our life that it leaves untouched. It tells the truth that we desperately need to hear. Truths like all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So how then do we become humble and dispose of all those pretensions to righteousness? Because trying to be humble is sort of like trying to be a kind person when you really aren't, you know? You just can't will kindness into being, right? You have to do certain kinds of practices and do them over and over and over again until you develop the habits that make kindness possible. To grow in humility requires more than being skilled in the art of the humble brag. You know what I'm talking about? Making self-deprecating comments all the while sort of subtly bragging. False humility is, after all, it's just a subtler form of pride. So what are the practices that make humility possible? Like I said at the outset of my sermon, I think that one of the main reasons to come to Mass is so that we can confess our sins alongside one another. This is called the general confession. There are a few different forms of it in the prayer book, um, but in the older language of the Roman rite, a person would confess that they have sinned exceedingly in thought, word, and deed. That language is familiar. But then they would add, through my fault through my fault, through my very own fault. And if you were really serious about that, you would also beat your breast each time, through my fault, through my fault, through my very own fault. Right? That's taken from the Latin, the mea culpa, saying. Part of me kind of wishes that this language was in the prayer book. And that's not because I think that people need to feel guilty. People don't need to feel guilty because they already feel guilty. What we need is not more guilt. What we need is absolution and the blessed assurance that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has also taken away my sin. We need a way to give voice to the guilt that we already have so that we can be like the tax collector 
and go back to our homes justified. Besides the general confession, some may wish to seek private confession to unburden the sins that weigh heavily upon them. On that note, uh, please know that I am always available and willing to hear private confessions for anyone who is in need of the sacrament of reconciliation. So the traditional Anglican view of this sacrament is that all may, some should, none must, which is to say it is not a requirement, but it is there for anyone who needs it. And in case there is any question, all confessions are sealed, and the seal cannot be broken under any circumstances. Confession, both general and private, can take us a long way toward growing in humility, especially if we add to that the practice of taking a moral and a spiritual inventory so that we really know what we mean when we come together and confess what we have done and what we have left undone. There's something else that needs to be said now, and it's this. Humility is not about humiliation, nor is it about self-loathing. Those things have no rightful place in the Christian life, nor should any practices in church underwrite them, because we are all made in God's image and given a sacred worth and dignity. Humility, to quote C.S. Lewis, is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. By God's grace, we can grow in humility, in thinking of ourselves less, and placing our hope and our trust in God, and loving our neighbors instead of regarding them with contempt. The Christian life is, in the end, about learning to abide in God's grace rather than just tallying up all our own merits. Because everything begins and ends with the grace of God. And as the old hymn goes, it's God's grace that will lead us home. Amen.